0: I don't know why I feel this way. Would you just stand with me for the reading of the word here in a moment? But let's give him praise in the house. Let's give him glory in the house. Let's magnify our Lord. Hallelujah. Our King of kings and Lord of lords. He's worthy of it. We magnify you, Lord, today. We glorify you today. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you'll remain standing for the reading of the word of the Lord. And in our... In our text in Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months by his parents because they saw he was a proper child and that they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of, his, of the reward. And by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who was invisible. Now we're going to make our declaration. If you'd make it with me as they put it up on the board. How many is enjoying the declaration? How many believe in the declaration? Can you say amen? Are you ready with me? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we're walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and our fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and to those that are in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Now giving praise for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the word of God today. May the Holy Spirit have everyone's attention by gripping our hearts and our minds and let us adhere to the word of God. Help everyone in this building, Lord, come under the very handprint of your spirit and your purpose for their lives. We pray and we ask it in Jesus' name and everybody says, Amen. You may be seated today. This morning we're going to be revealing the fourth woman in my dream that we've been preaching a series on. I'm sorry that I was out last week. I'd come down with the flu on Saturday night. But we're here to pick up that series where we left off. We have talked about how that there's going to be six major spirits that's going to be unleashed in the sixth hour before the seventh hour of completion of the church age. This means that prior to the close of the dispensation of the church age, which is the dispensation of grace, which happens at the rapture of the church. How many knows that when the rapture of the church takes place, that's the end of what we call the church age or the dispensation of grace. But right prior to the rapture of the church, we see that there's going to be a rise of demonic activity in the form of six major spirits. They're not the only spirits that's going to be upon the earth. There are many, many spirits, but they're going to be the very six major spirits. Each one of these spirits are portrayed to us in the form of a woman within Scripture throughout our series. In other words, symbolically, the women of Scripture that we're going to be revealing will represent the six major spirits that's going to be unleashed against the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're coming against every single one of us. I feel like they're going to have church here today. But this morning, we're going to unveil and disclose who our fourth woman is. Now, that's going to make a lot of women nervous, because I might pick one of them out here today. Amen? But we're going to pick out this fourth woman of our, our series. Now, remember that the fourth woman represents the third spirit, not the fourth spirit, because Herodias and her daughter Salome acted as one. And when I began to analyze the dream when I first had it, and I come to the understanding that it was representing, these women were representing spirits and each of these women or spirits carried with them a great seduction because they were very seductive. I thought immediately I knew who some of the women were due to my biblical knowledge. As that dream began to unfold, I thought, well, I know who that is, I know who that is, but I was so dead wrong. I thought for sure a woman like Delilah, who was seductive and a wily temptress, would be one of the women. Her seduction was so strong that it brought down the mighty Samson who was Israel's warrior. I also thought of, of a woman like Potiphar's wife who tried to seduce Joseph. Everybody remember that story? I thought that she would be one of those women. I thought for sure that she would be a woman because her seduction was so strong that she caused Joseph to run out of his coat of many colors. I also thought, well, one of those women will be Lot's wife. But none of those women were in what were one of the women in the dream as God began to give me the interpretation. However, I come to understand that part of the seduction of these ladies was in the form of the most unlikely. A lot of the seduction, mainly was the, a lot of the seduction. The, the seduction was mainly undetected and unnoticed because it was not blatant and in your face like that of Delilah and like that of Potiphar's wife. And this is what makes it so dangerous because the seduction becomes so subtle. The seduction becomes like it's in the form of Norman. And if you're not paying attention and if you don't have your senses exercised in the spirit, you will not detect that you're ever even being deceived. That's why the seduction is so dangerous of these women. Now, first of all, I want you to remember the description I gave to you about this fourth woman in the dream. The fourth lady was a well-groomed, well-organized, and well-behaved lady, it seemed like. She seemed so innocent, very educated, which... And her innocence was a big part of her seduction. And to her innocence, it was her innocence that caused you to want to be so attracted to her. As I looked upon this fourth lady, she had a motherly figure, and you felt safe, and you felt protected, and you felt secure around her. Her demeanor was not provocative, but her motherly presence was so enticing that you could hardly resist her. You wanted to run to her. You wanted to crawl up in her lap. There was a an overwhelming desire just simply to be close to her and to want to be with her. Here we see this fourth woman in our text and she is called, she don't even know her name, but she is called Pharaoh's daughter. And when the Lord began to give me the interpretation of the dream, I thought, oh my goodness, I would have never even thought of that lady. But this fourth woman is called called Pharaoh's daughter. Now we know the story in Exodus chapter one, how that under the leadership of Joseph that the children of Israel increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly strong and the land of Egypt was filled with all of the Hebrews according to verse 7. Now let me stop right here and say that's the will of God right now for the body of Christ that we are to increase abundantly and we are to multiply and we are to be exceedingly strong and we are to fill the earth with who we are. Can I say amen? God wants to put the same favor upon us and that he put upon Joseph. How many believes that? You and I are predestined to greatness. You and I are living in this world, but I want to tell you that God wants us to be the remnant that he has chosen in the last days to facilitate the very glory and the very power and the very anointing of his Holy Spirit. If you believe that, give him, stand to your feet and give him praise. Dear God, we're to facilitate the presence of God on the earth. Hallelujah. Praise God. That means his presence
1: is with us. He's crowned us with his presence. You and I,
0: oh, I'm about to
1: preach. We have to facilitate the presence of the Lord. That means everywhere we go, he's
0: there. Everywhere I go, he's there. That means he's in this place today. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's with us always, even as a friend sticking closer to the brother, so he sticks closer to us. But notice that here's the children of Israel. They've increased abundantly. They've multiplied. They're exceedingly strong. And we see that Joseph dies. And then there comes a time, there rose up a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Joseph being the prime minister under Pharaoh over all these years, he dies and generation after generation happens to a, to a Pharaoh, a king rises up that don't know the story about how the Israelites got there, the Hebrews got there in the first place. They don't know the story of how good that Joseph was and, how, and how, that, how faithful that he was to Pharaoh. He dies, Joseph does. And this other Pharaoh is paranoid and he begins to get concerned. And listen to Exodus 1, 9 and 10. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Wouldn't you like to hear the church say that about us, the church? The world say that about us, the church? And that the world would say, hey, there are more and they're mightier than we are. Oh, hallelujah. I want to tell you, I believe that's just coming around the scene. In this next great awakening, there we are going to rise up with power and might. We're going to be a militant force that is going to be reckoned with in these last days as a church of the living God. Amen. Are you listening? I'm prophesying of watch to come. And he says, come, let us deal wisely with them lest they multiply and come to pass that when any war breaks out, that they join their enemies and fight against us. So let's get them out of our land. In other words, this guy's paranoid. He's afraid if a war breaks out that the Israelites are gonna join the enemies and that he is gonna be knocked off of his throne and Egypt would be lost in war. But due to the rise of the numbers of the Israelites, the new pharaoh set over them taskmasters and afflicted them with burdens and put them into slavery." And also, this new pharaoh makes a decree that any new, uh, every male child that is born to the Hebrews would actually be killed, thrown by throwing them in the Nile River and them drowned. It. And this would stop population control. In other words, you're getting rid of all the male children, and they're going to interbreed it later on if they can help and get knock out a complete race. But nevertheless, I want you. And that's exactly what's happening today with this abortion. Not only is abortion there because the enemy just hates mankind and he loves to kill, to steal, and destroy, but I want to tell you, he is afraid of the future prophets and preachers and leaders and teachers and disciples, and he's trying to stomp out those in the future that have a high calling of God and to keep them from being able to be productive in these last days. That's what Pharaoh tried to do is get rid of all of the male children. And we see that Moses was born from a woman by the name of Jochebed. I love that name, and the Bible says that she saw that he was a goodly child and she hid him for three months. And after three months, she came come to realize that she couldn't hide her son no more. You talk about a woman of faith, a woman that believed, listen to what she does. She makes a little ark out of bulrush, out of pitch, mud, and straw, sticks, and, and leaves and different things, and she puts Moses into it and shoves him off in the Nile River. Instead of having him killed, instead of getting him out of his misery, She's trusting God for the safety of her son and she makes a little ark, shoves him out in the Nile River there to be on his own. And Jochebed had Moses' sister, her daughter, Miriam, to follow afar off to see what would become of her son, Moses. There's the ark floating down the Nile River. We know that the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself in the river along with some of her maidens. And when Pharaoh's daughter seen the ark, she sent one of the maidens out to fetch it to see what it was. It was there that she finds the baby Moses, and the Bible says that the baby wept, and Pharaoh's daughter had compassion upon him. And then she said, this is one of the Hebrews' daughters. Now, notice, she knew exactly the rightful place for this child, but nevertheless, she wants to take ownership of this child and raise him as his, her own. She finds one of the Hebrews who was able to nurse. She gets her maiden and says, look, go find one of the women that's got rid of the child who's, who's able to nurse, who's still able to, to take care of the child and uh, bring her here and let this, that, that Hebrew nurse my son, my son Moses. And not knowing it, the, one of the maids goes out and chooses Jacobed. Moses' own biological mother. Now I know that Pharaoh's daughter does not know who she is. And then she pays her wages to nursing. This means that the wages that Jacob had would make during her duty, doing her duty as a slave, she now would make by nursing and feeding her own son. Isn't that just like our God? I want to tell you, she she escapes slavery and gets paid for taking care of her own child. What she should have made as a slave, she's now making by sitting there nursing her son Moses. Don't tell me that my God is not a God of provision. And let me say this. God will make a way when there seems to be no way.
1: And if you got a Moses in your spiritual womb, don't kill him, don't abort him because God's able to make your dream come to pass.
0: Don't throw him away. Don't stop. Don't kill him. Can I have an amen? Then look at Exodus 2 and 10. And the child grew and she brought him into Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son, and she called his name Moses and said, I have drawn him out of the Nile River. Now, the name Moses means to be drawn out. So she said, I've called him Moses because i drawed him out of the Nile. She thinks that's the reason for his name, but he's got a greater purpose than that that she don't know about. And it is here that Pharaoh's daughter takes full possession of Moses and claims him as her own child. Now, this is where the problem comes in because Moses was born as a Hebrew but he's being raised as an Egyptian. Now let me say this. God spoke to me and he told me in the dream, he said, he showed me this, this was the first woman that God gave me the interpretation of who she was. And God said that Pharaoh's daughter could care less how much you call God father as long as she's allowing allowed to nurture you and mature you in the ways of Egypt. And let me tell you, we all know what the word Egypt means, don't we? The word Egypt means what? Worldliness, look at somebody say, Egypt means warliness. Here is Moses being born biologically as the son of Amran, who was of the Levitical tribe of priests, or would be the future tribe of priests, and to Jochebed, who was a daughter of Levi herself. This meant that he was of the priestly tribe from both sets of his parents. His parents and family, as we all know, worship Jehovah God, uh, and who was the true and only God. However, we see that he was raised and nurtured by Pharaoh's daughter, who is of the royalty of Egypt. She raised him in a culture with many gods and many pagans, and they were all worshipped. And when Moses became of age, he was faced with a great identity problem. He had a crisis. His dilemma was, who am I? Who am I as an individual? Am I going to live as an Egyptian, or am I going to live as a Hebrew? That was the questions that he had to ask himself. Am I going to live in an assumed and an adopted lifestyle, or will I be what I was born to be? Now, these are the same questions that you and I have to ask ourselves right here in this very service today. Even though we were born with a sinful nature, yet we were created for God and his purposes. I want you to know that. This is why the psalmist said in Psalms 139, verse 13 through 18, he said, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are the works and that my soul knoweth not well. Here's what the psalmist said. He's saying, hey, I want you to know, you don't make junk, God. I'm not a mistake. I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully and I'm marvelously made and I know it. Amen. He had a confidence of who he was. How many know, how many of you know that you're marvelously and wonderfully made by God? Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, that's why the psalmist, Psalms 34, verse 1, the psalmist said, My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Amen. That we are literally made and fashioned by God for his purpose. He goes on in verse 15 and 16, says, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thy eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in countenance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now what does that mean? Let's put it in modern day English. Here's the psalmist, and this is what he says. Though I come from nowhere, yet I'm not an accident, Though I was unperfect, I come from the lowest parts of the earth. I come from a no, no good place. Yet you took remembrance of me and wrote about me in your book before I was ever even fashioned. He said, before I was ever even thought of, before I was ever even had any substance. He said, and even though I come from a lowly estate and I'm unperfect, I come from nowhere. Yet you had me in your mind from the very beginning and you wrote about me before I was ever even born. Can you imagine that? He said, you're so intimate toward me. You knew me before I was ever even born. You knew my thoughts before I ever even uttered them. Hallelujah. And then he goes on to verse 17 and 18, and he says, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, How great is the sum of them? If I could count them, they are more in number than all of the sand. When I awake, you're still with me. I like that. You know what he said? He just said, when I think about all of the thoughts that you had towards me, and then I look at all the grains of the sand that is out upon the earth, your thoughts toward me are more than the grains of those sands. He said, that's how much you got uh, your mind upon me. Do you not know how much that God loves you? Do you not understand how much that God thinks about you? I'm like the psalmist. Who is man that you're even mindful of? But every single day he takes an account of us. He knows us from afar off. He knows us when we're near. He knows us when we're a nobody. I don't care who you are, where you come from, or how bad a reputation you have. God loves you. He knows you. You're marvelously and fearfully and wondrously." made for him can you say amen God
1: don't make junk
0: you are marvelously made for him this is why God told Jeremiah Jeremiah 1 and 5 before I formed thee in the belly I knew thee and before thou comest out from the womb I sanctified thee and called you to be a a, a prophet unto the nations before you were born you were a prophet chosen you had a destiny you had a purpose can I have an amen You and I are created for the purpose of God. Look at somebody and say, you're created for the purpose of God. That's what Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. That means that everything that God creates is for his own pleasure. Everything that he does is to self-set right and give himself glory right back to himself. You were created with divine destiny and possibility. Let me say this. That's why Romans 8 and 28 says, For we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord, and to them who are the called according to his purposes. Amen, that means everything that if we'll we'll surrender under the perfect will of God, that everything that happens to us is happening to our own benefit. The greatest dilemma that we face in the church world today in these last days is this spirit of worldliness. the greatest fear, or the greatest danger, I should say, that we face is Pharaoh's daughter. I want you to know this generation is facing an identity crisis. We're living in a society that has lost its identity. We're always talking about how that our identity is being stolen online, talking about our credit card information, our bank account information. There are people that are ruined by that. You know that? People get into their bank accounts and rob them and I tell you it's a serious thing. It's a serious crisis. And we talk about how that they get our personal information or they get our social security numbers, our parents' names, our parents' occupations. They've stolen information such as the maiden name of our mother, where we were born, what city, what state, how long we've lived there, our permanent address, how how much we make a year, our weight, our size, our hair color, our eye color. They know everything about us. They know your shoe size even, some of them. You go online, if you ever look up something, if you ain't careful, all of a sudden, they figure out who you are by the information that you give to it. They know what you like. They know, you you look up something, and the next thing you know, there's 50 ads that are trying to sell you the product that you looked at for several months. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about. They know a lot about you. But this generation has lost more than information about themselves. They've lost their DNA. They have lost the fabric of who they are. Can I have an amen? They are now being taught in five different states and public schools throughout America that gender has nothing to do with the DNA of the body or the features that one possesses. This is happening in our public schools. But they say that the gender is determined by how one feels or what one chooses to be or what one prefers. I want to tell you something. I, I, I don't understand that. Number one, I have never felt like a lady in my life. And if I did feel like a lady, I'm not a lady. Amen? What little hair I have on my chest, it says I'm a man. Can I have an Amen? I am here to tell you that we're living in a warped society. We're living in a society where they're stealing the DNA of our children. Can I have an amen? We've not, lost, not, we've not only lost what's right and wrong. We've lost what's, what's natural and unnatural to this generation. We have a cradling spirit that mothers want into a system of the world. It's called cosmos. The system and the beauty of arrangement of the world is the Greek word. And let me tell you, and it secures our young people into its philosophy by making them feel warm, safe, and accepted and gives them an identity that they want to choose for themselves instead of the identity that God has chose for them. They have a preconceived idea of who they are outside of the scope of who God says that they are to be. And as a result of it, we have a DNA problem. We have an image problem. We have an identity crisis throughout our land today. Pharaoh's daughter is one that will not correct Reprove you, reject you, tell you no, but she will cradle you in the arms of acceptance. It is a spirit that betrays a nurturing mother, but it's a seductive spirit of no restraints. It lifts the bar off of what is right and wrong, what's natural and unnatural, what's profitable and non-profitable, and it caters to the flesh. Moses finds himself now in the bondage to two worlds and he don't know what to do. That is the same place that you and I are finding ourselves today. And can I tell you, the nurturing mother of this age, Pharaoh's daughter, is very much alive and well and her deception and her flattery is very strong and very dangerous and we better be paying attention to the spirit of this age. Can I have an amen? Huh. No doubt Moses' mother, Jochebed, she taught him in the ways of Israel and prayed for him while she nursed him. And she sang the songs of Zion. Can you imagine that little old mother? Oh, that little old Hebrew mother, old Jochebed, grabbing a hold of that baby and nursing him. And as she nursed him, rocking and cradling him and saying, Boy, you're a Hebrew. Boy, your God is Jehovah God. She began to quote the scripture to him and she began to quote the word of the Lord over him and she began to love on him and sing him the old songs of Zion. I don't know what songs they had back then, but I want to tell you, little old Jacob did. And little old Jacob would sing over that child and pray over that child. i tell you one of the greatest stories that I ever heard was uh, a documentation, a documentary on President Nixon and his mother when he was a little boy, would put him in a rocking chair for one hour, a minimum of one hour and sometimes four hours a day when he was little and she would rock him in a rocking chair and she would prophesy over him and say, young man, you were created by God. Young man, you will do something significant in the days to come. Young man, you will have a chance to save Israel and when you have that chance, you better obey the spirit of God and save him. And this went on for years, and that echoed in that little boy's mind all through his young childhood. And when he got old enough to go to school, his mom was no longer able to do that. But all of his life, that was in his head, that there had come a time when he'd have a decision to save Israel. And he had better obey the Spirit of God, for this purpose was he raised up. That was a prophecy that his mother prophesied over him every day of his life when he was a little bitty, bitty, bitty boy. And he remembered it when he became the President of the United States, Israel called him and say, if you do not send us the necessary uh, necessary uh, 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 guns and ammunition and protection, we're going to be annihilated. We'll be destroyed within 48 hours. All, every one of his cabinet makers said, don't do it. You're going to open a can of worms in the Middle East. Don't you send any of them any help. Don't you send any aircraft. Don't you send any missiles. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Everybody was against him. Senate was against him. Congress was against him. And he was sitting there behind the noble office. Office, and a voice came upon him in the form of his mother and said when you get old you'll have a choice to make of whether or not to save Israel you better do it for this purpose God has raised you up and it was there he picked up the phone and he called Israel the kid Israel's army and told them and within the next 24 hours you'll have
1: everything you desire let me tell you something them prophetic words of O Jacob was in the ears of a little Hebrew boy by the in the name of Moses. Woo. Yes, Mama, Daddy, get your children together. Prophesy over them. Pray over them. Give them the nurture and the love and the admonition and the fear of the Lord.
0: Can I have an amen? The Bible says that Moses was a goodly child. So Jochebed kept him for three months before she put him in the Nile. Now, what does that mean a good child? It means he was quiet. He didn't cry all night. Hello? i tell you, Benjamin was a nightmare. <laughs> Boy. Samuel was a cuddler. As long as he was with you, he was all right. But being ah, ah he'd grab a hold of his his little bed, his little crib, ah, and just shake it, and it would just go across the room. <laughs> I'd go in there, and think, boy, I'm gonna beat you half to death. Yeah, yeah, this has got to stop. You wouldn't have hit him for three. You wouldn't hit him for 30 seconds. But Moses quiet, didn't give a lot of trouble. And she thought, I, I can keep him hid for three months. She keeps Moses hid for three months. And we also know that Pharaoh's daughter paid her to nursing. Now, in our culture today, a mother's nurses anywhere from 12 to 16 months by average. But history tells us that the culture in the day of Moses, that the average baby was weaned from nursing from its mother somewhere around three and a half to four years. This means that Jochebed had at least four to four and a half years with her son every single day. I'm sure she told him about God, the history of the people of God, the history of the nation. However, Pharaoh's daughter also had Moses. And she groomed him, fashioned him, trained him, and taught him in the ways of Egypt. Here we see a boy that is born to be a Hebrew living as an Egyptian. Because of Pharaoh's daughter being into training. Do you know how many of us have children that is born and created for the purpose of God, but they're being nurtured, trained, deceived by Pharaoh's daughter today? Are you with me? Here's the problem that we have within the church of the living God we have children. We need to be nurturing them. Many do not, but many don't have to do anything spiritually with their children at all, except take them to church and say, church, there they are, train them. That don't work. But nevertheless, we have our children. We try to nurture them, love them, teach them, train them the best we can. And then when they grow up and they go off to school, it's like we just give up on them, throw them, and say, okay, we're sending them to the real world. They're being educated now. They're being educated all right. Can I have an Amen. The problem is, as soon as they get out there outside of the realm of the home, Pharaoh's daughter moves in and says, I'm taking possession. That's my child. It's no longer your child. We have a spirit of Pharaoh's daughter that is very much alive and active and operating today. And to be honest with you, she has more influence over your children than you do. You can tell it by the way they act, what they watch, what they do, their lifestyle. Very much, you know what, folks? How many knows that children are born as tyrants? They're born into sin. Well, if you look at your children, you're going to see that they act out a lot more of their carnal nature than they do their spiritual nature. Am I right or wrong? And when you see that activity, you've got to come to understand there is a presence and an influence of Pharaoh's daughter upon my child. You have to recognize it. You have to combat it. You have to be, you have to get intentional about destroying the influence of that evil woman on your children's life. We're living in a time when we're not paying attention to what's taking place. And the identity of our children are being stolen. And they're no longer spiritual children by the age of 19, but they're out doing their own thing. Can I have an amen? Pharaoh's daughter immediately begins to set to train. Your children, the ways of Egypt, as soon as they begin to leave the home, she begins to train them in the ways of the world. You know, the school has your children eight hours a day. They sleep around eight hours a day. According to the latest statistics, they have about four to five hours of activities a day. That means you have very little time whatsoever to do anything with your child. Can you imagine that? In a 24-hour period, you have very few hours left with them after they grow up and start going off to school. Look at how powerful this woman by the name of Pharaoh's daughter really is compared to Jochebed. Jochebed is just a poor Hebrew slave living in the land of Goshen of Egypt without any true material or physical wealth. There's nothing attractive about her whatsoever. Haven't you ever had your children say, Oh, you're just old fashioned? In other words, you're saying, You're outdated. You know what they're saying? They're saying, you don't understand, you're outdated. You're not attractive to this new generation. You know what that makes daddy want to do? Slap some sense into them. Can I have an amen? And when they say that, they're saying, I'm worldly, I'm under the influence of Pharaoh's daughter. She's got me, she's training me, she's nursing me. That's what they're saying with their actions. Jochebed's just this poor little slave woman in the land of Goshen, not attractive. Don't have anything to really offer. Who would want to live with her? That's how the enemy paints pictures with your children in their minds by this little spirit called Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter raised him in the royalty of Egypt. She was the king's daughter. She had all the wealth and the treasures of Egypt at her disposal. Anything his little heart would desire, oh, she supplied it. She gave Moses luxury, money, fame, popularity, power, everything his heart's desired. I want to tell you, he didn't ride no sheep. He rode Harley Davidson. I mean, he rode the luxuries of the Cadillac and the Rolls Royce when it come to the chariots. I'm here to tell you this boy had anything and everything that he wanted. There was big parties thrown in his name. He was honored and esteemed. And here's what her idea was. I'm going to make sure my little boy's a popular kid. And I'm going to make sure that my kid fits into this world. And the problem of it is that's the same stinking mentality that we have. And without us knowing it, we have joined allegiance with Pharaoh's daughter and we have taken on the same nature and we're helping her to raise him under the influence of Egypt instead of the influence of the word of God. God help us. There was these big parties stole in his name. He had everything. He lived in comfort and ease while the people of God was under constant burdens and under hard labor. Does that not sound familiar today? It's hard to serve God when it seems that, you know, at all times that the world hasn't made, and and while the people of God is constantly under heavy burdens, faced with spiritual attacks all the time. Because every time we turn around, we're under an attack of some kind, are not we not? Our homes are under attack. It's hard at times to see the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer under the attacks of the spirit of this age. Here's Moses. He's young, he's impressible, easily influenced, and when he views the two situations, which one do you think is more desirable, a Jacobed or Pharaoh's daughter? If you were 16 and just now getting out on your own, starting to date and have a good time, which home would you rather be raised in? Hello? This is how powerful this little lady really is. Because the scenario I just painted in your eyes and in your mind is the very scenario that has happened spiritually right now as I speak. The allurements and the charm of worldly enticements is so strong that it's not just affecting our children, it's affecting you and I more than what we think. We're caught up in it as adults just as much. Can I have an amen? It's hard though as a righteous man to see the wicked prosper while you're under the gun all the time. Everywhere you turn it's a fight. It's a war. It's a struggle. It's a hardship. It's a hurdle. It's a hindrance. It's a, it's it's always something constantly. And today there are many like Moses. They're having to make a decision, but they're selling out to the spirit of Pharaoh's daughter. We all have to make a choice. And some would say, well, it's impossible to live in the world without the world being a part of you. Do you really think that? Is it impossible to live above the world? We see in all the journey of Israel, when they were set free from Egypt, you remember when they're delivered stay, and they set free, they spoiled Egypt, and there they went through the wilderness. We see that though they were delivered from Egypt, yet Egypt was really never really delivered from them in a lot of ways. Because in their wilderness journey, you know what they done? They built a golden calf, which is an Egyptian deity, and there they done Egyptian worship and got caught up in idolatry. Some would say it's unrealistic and even a fantasy for a person to think that they can completely be devoted to their faith and hold to biblical standards. Pharaoh's daughter will tell you it is legalistic and bondage to live in a faith-based lifestyle. Some will say to live in a faith-based lifestyle is abusive. God help us. She will point to you to Jacobed, the Hebrew children and say, look what religion will do to you. Look what it has to offer.
1: And from a viewpoint of the world, religion is not very attractive.
0: She's seductive, she's mean. She seduces, she offers things that appeals to the common flesh. And the question we all have to settle is, is it really possible to live a set-free, victorious life in Jesus Christ, like the Bible says? Is it possible for a young man or a young woman to really walk away from the power of Pharaoh's daughter's seduction? Can we really overcome the worldly allurements and the worldly entanglements and the worldly deception that is out there? Folks, even us adults are having problems with it the entanglements and the allurements and the things that we're getting caught up in things that we don't even realize that is worldly because we do not have our spiritual senses uh, exercised to the point of discernment. Help us, Lord. Can a young man really run away from the sexual temptations and the availability of sexual pleasure like Joseph did in his day in this 21st century? In this 21st century culture, can a young man really be married as a virgin or a young woman married as a virgin? Does God really even expect that? Is it possible to sit on the sidelines being mocked and ridiculed and made fun of due to your faith while all along the world does what it wants, the way they want, how they want, and it seems like there's no consequences whatsoever? Is it possible for a young man to literally hold up under such kind of pressure? Do we really expect our teenagers, really do we expect them to be victorious? Oh, they're just teenagers. They're gonna do things wrong anyway. That makes me sick when I hear statements like that. Young people, you are created and fashioned by God and you're a mighty fortress to be reckoned with and though you be young, you rise up and be mature because God wants to set you in high places with a high calling and a high purpose to show this world what a young man can really do for God and what a young woman can do for God. You do not have to cave into the system of the world. Can I have an amen? We have Christian people say, oh, we're expecting too much out of our society to try to get them to adhere to biblical principles and biblical standards. Don't say that in front of me. You'll make me lose my sanctification. When we were fighting the sale of alcohol at the Black River Coliseum, us as a church, all of the church people went down there and tried to stop the sales of alcohol. Because it's supposed to be a place of family. It's It's a public place. It's paid for by our tax money. Come on. Somebody help me say amen. And we were trying to stop the sale of alcohol there for our children's sake. Give them a safe place away from that kind of environment. We don't want an open bar at one of our events. Amen. One of the main arguments among professional, mature, educated businessmen and women with degrees concerning our youth drinking was this. These are the very words that some of them were saying. Look, we might as well give them a place to drink because they're going to drink anyway. One man said, Are you've traveled down the back roads of Butler County drinking all the time? I think we ought to give them a safe place to drink. There were fathers, mothers, educators who agreed with them. Later, a story came out how a mother allowed her daughter to throw parties underage at her house that involved alcohol. Her mother would take the keys of all of the youth. Though the other parents did not know it, she let all these youth come over. She would supply alcohol. She'd take their keys to where they couldn't leave the party and she let them get plastered. However, one night, one of the ch- children had an extra key in her coat that she didn't know about, the mother didn't know about, she slipped out and she was traveling down the road and she got killed because she was drunk. The story didn't stop there. The party was just about that night because it taught that whole generation of kids the they gave them the influence of alcohol, and now some of them created a desire for alcohol that affected the rest of their lives. We have mothers putting their girls on birth control at young ages to protect them from pregnancy, and these young girls, some of them, don't even have desire for sexual activity. The mother's reasoning and his excuse, this is very popular, I deal with it as a pastor a lot, believe it or not, is this. This is their excuse. It only takes one moment of pleasure and one moment of uncontrolled restraint or uncontrolled passion. And if if they're going to do that kind of activity, I'd rather for them to do it at home and a safe place. This is the world's view. Look at it. It's all done under care, concern, child health, safety. I want to tell you something. Abortion has nothing to do with woman's health. It has to do with the murder of a child. We're living in a time when everything's everything's seductively worded to where it's about care, concern, safety, health. It has nothing to
1: do with that. It's a seductive lying spirit that's getting you to buy into the spirit of the age.
0: Not understanding this parent, her thinking led her daughter to failure in a promiscuous lifestyle that undermined her self-esteem and her concept of value of her own daughter's life. This kind of thinking does not show any faith in their child and promotes failure before it ever even happens. Well, I know you're not wanting to have sex, but I'm going to go ahead and put you on the pill anyway just to protect you in case you ever want to. This undermines the child's future development by casting a cloud over the child and that destroys identity. The child becomes to where she cannot believe in herself because her own mother didn't even believe in her. She taught her that she does not have the power of personal restraint. That she has taken the right of choice away from her own daughter. And we can give examples after examples after examples where we've all failed in facilitating woolliness and making it easy for our children to be conformed to it. I'd like for you to stand with me just for a minute before I, I still got some time here. When I came to that statement in my notes, the Lord dealt with me. And he said, your church and you must repent over this. Is that we all, every single one of us, here in this building, have helped facilitate worldliness, making it easier for our children to conform to it in our homes by the things we've allowed them to watch, by the things we've allowed them to participate in, by the things we've pushed in their lives over the priority of the spiritual. We've made sports and idol God to them. We've made, we've made gaming. I mean, instead of us babysitting and doing the right thing and nurturing and loving, we just stick them in front of a, a television and let the television teach them and we plug something in to get them out of our hair. Come on. We've not paid attention. and this, You know what? I want to tell you, Pharaoh's daughter's moved in a lot of our homes and we need to repent of it. I'd ask for you right now to repent with me right now. Would you do that? Ask God right now to forgive you for help facilitating the spirit of Pharaoh's daughter in your own home. Facilitating warliness and so making it easy for your children to be conformed to it by the lifestyle that you live, by the things that you promoted, by the things that you didn't put priorities on when you should have, by your lack spiritually of not praying and having devotions, by not reading them the word of God, by not prophesying over them, by not holding them and creating them and telling them about the things of the Lord. And yet you've allowed and facilitated everything else in a worldly fashion. Those things of the world has taken the place of the spiritual. Repent of it. Ask God to forgive us. Father, right now we plead the blood of Jesus Christ over this service right now. We pray, God, that you'd forgive us of facilitating the things of the world in our homes and helping our children have an easy way to be conformed to the to things of the world instead of the things of the Spirit. Forgive us of our lack. Forgive us of our uh, of uh, our catering to their flesh. Forgive us of not being wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Forgive us of not using wisdom. Forgive us, God, of being lukewarm and complacent as parents. Forgive us of our own God our own lack in our lives that has allowed our children to be conformed to a certain amount of the image of the world I ask in Jesus name amen you may be seated we have baby pampered this generation given them everything that they've ever wanted our excuses I don't want my children to have to be raised the way I was I didn't have anything we've thrown gifts at them material blessings to them We give them the latest gadgets, the in-style clothes, the games, the toys, the haircuts. But one thing that we have not given them is a proper identity in God. We now have six-year-olds carrying a cell phone to school, calling friends and getting even on the internet, going places that they shouldn't even go. The advance of the electronic age has retarded the progress of individual expression. Communicating with computers and mechanical devices certainly has not encouraged the development of a warmth personality. It's a cold society, my friend, when your social security number is more important than your name. Can I have an amen? People have become entities without the warmth of a personal identity. What is so hard in the church world is defining the word warliness. Okay, we're not to have worldliness. Well, everybody's got their own concept of what worldliness is, and the things that's worldly in our lives, we'll justify it because we're blinded. Everybody has developed their idea of what worldliness is and what worldliness isn't. Sometimes we'll look at somebody and say, That man's so worldly. You go talk to the man, that ain't worldliness. Amen? I looked the word worldliness up, and I asked several people to actually give me the definition of the word worldliness. I wanted to see what the church world thought. I asked a lot of people. I won't give you some of them. But here's one man's definition of worldliness. Worldliness is a preposition of certain people exercising their close, intimate relationship with part of or the whole world in their daily living and ignoring the standards and principles set forth in God's word for daily living. I like that. Here's another worldliness is an excessive focus and desire for the temporal, the visible, the tangible, material things of the earth that totally appeal to one's fleshly senses causing a person to neglect and overlook the invisible realm of our eternal spirit man where Christ wants to live and dwell. Here's another one. Worldliness is a predominant passion for obtaining the good things of this life, covetousness, addictiveness, to gain and temporal enjoyments. Here's another. Secular, temporal, pertaining to this world of life in contradiction to the life to come such as worldly pleasures, worldly affairs, worldly estate, worldly care, worldly honor, and worldly lust. And here's one of the definitions I like the most because it's simple and it's basic. Devoted to this life and its enjoyment, being bent on gain as worldly man having a worldly mind, human, common, belonging to the world, As worldly actions and worldly maximums. Being caught up in the cares of life. Not spiritual, but exercising worldly strength and worldly wisdom at the expense of spiritual devotions and commitment. Living with worldly wisdom without any spiritual enlightenment. God help us. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. It takes a spiritual man can I have an amen? I've got another hour of teaching here and I'm gonna to have to just kind of brush it off. But I want to tell you something. The biblical definition of worldliness is idolatry. It is exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshiping and serving the creator more than the creation. Our creation more than the creator. Listen to what Romans one twenty five says Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator's creator who is blessed and forever, Amen. There are all kinds of people that do not understand what this scripture is talking about. They will say, we have never worshiped created things more than God. We've never turned the truth into a lie. But the problem with this is they've erred not understanding that they've been cradled in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter. Because when a person shows more commitment to an outing, to a sports event, to an activity, to a warly activity than they do to the worship of God, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. There are all kinds of people that will have open, outward displays of passionate worldly activities. Go to a ball game and they get beside themselves. But they come to the house of God and there is absolutely not one ounce of passion seen in their worship or their daily devotion. And then they'll say, well, that's just not who I am. Y'all Pentecostals are different. I want to tell you, that is the truth. You have spoken because Jesus said, wherever your passion is, it's going to be revealed through your action. It's going to be revealed through your mouth. Whatever you're passionate about, what you put more time and energy and all that into, it's going to be revealed. It'll be revealed at a ball game. It'll be revealed at an outing. It'll be revealed in a humorous setting where there's laughter, where there's party, where there's fun. Oh, you can be the life of the party
1: outside of the church, but when you come to the church, you don't have any life in you at all. It's the influence of Pharaoh's daughter. It's worldliness. It's worldliness.
0: Whatever we give an allegiance to or show more passion in than we do God is idolatry. And let me tell you, if you have passion for God, it will show up. It will be revealed in your lifestyle, in your actions, in your worship, in your faithfulness, in everything that you do, you will leak God. One of the reasons we don't have the manifestation of the Spirit in the last days is because we don't have a desire because I want to tell you, whatever we have an appetite for is what is going to be manifested and whatever we have a passion for it's what's going to be revealed in our lives. And the reason the Holy Spirit is not being revealed is because we have no appetite for him. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're the ones that's going to see the manifestation of the presence of God. You show me a church that has no manifestation, I'll show you a church that has no passion for God. A church that has a passion for God, he will manifest himself in that passion. I'm gonna, I've got a lot of teaching, but I'm gonna just skip my notes. I wanna have, Shelby, would you come up please? I'm gonna preach long, so I got a little hungry. Don't tell them to look good. This is the fruit of Canaan. It's the fruit of promise. Remember when the spies went out and they carried the fruit back as evidences? They carried one cluster of grape on their shoulders. In other words, folks, there were some of these that were as big as almost the size of a pickup. And they put it on a pole and they carried, that's how great and fruitful the land was, as God promised. And it truly was a land, that flow of milk and honey. And wherever. Your promise is in God, it always results to a life of fruitfulness. Moses, he's caught up in these two worlds. Pharaoh's daughters offered him everything in the world and he looks over at an old peasant woman, a slave, she's battle-torn, she's baked by the sun, she's wrinkled up, she's old, she has nothing, she lives in a shack, her feet is calloused, for walking in the mud pits of Goshen, hauling straw to the men to make bricks. She don't have no Rolls Royce to give, no chariot, no luxury palace, no fame, no parties. But Moses looks over there and somehow as he become of age, he begin to feel the tugging of his heart and he begins to hear the words of an old Jacobad who rocked him in a rocking chair prophesying over his name and saying, Moses, she may have called you drawn out because you draw, she drawed you out of the Nile, but you've not only been drawn out of the Nile,
1: you're called to be drawn out of Egypt. You're to be the prince of Israel, the chosen one to draw your people out of bondage.
0: She hears it, he hears it, and he chooses. It's a choice to literally suffer with the people of God and forsake the riches and the treasures of Egypt. That's the day that Moses began to take on fruit,
1: despising the treasures of Egypt and taking on the reproaches of being a Hebrew. He would rather suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hard choice. There's no beauty there. There's no attraction there,
0: but there's just a high calling of God in Christ Jesus.
1: There's a pull. There's a destiny. There's an identity that is unseen. There's a purpose. Greater than the pleasure.
0: He begins to feel it inside of him. And his life begins to take on fruit. A life that don't have no fruit, it shall be cut down and withered and thrown in the fire to be burned. That we're called to fruitfulness. The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperate self-control. Moses says, I choose self control. And he takes on and he becomes fruitful. I don't know about you. Every day of my life, I work of trying to be fruitful, trying to take on the nature of Christ. In my sermon up here, I've got all kinds of scriptures about Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 1, where it talks about being imitators of Christ as dear children. That we to imitate Christ, not to imitate the things of the world. John says, love not the world, neither the things that's in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they're not of the Father, but they're of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God, it's him that abides forever. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Amen? The Bible tells us over and over and over to come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you unto myself, teaching us to deny and ungodliness and, 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 and worldly lust
1: and worldly allurements in this present world that we should live soberly and righteously. Titus.
0: He goes on in 2 Timothy, he tells us, he says, it is certain that you surely brought nothing to this world and you should surely take nothing out. And he said, why don't you be content with such things you just raiment and food and he said but any more of this becometh entanglements and he goes on and he begins to tell you to not love the world and into the affairs of the world but put on brotherly love and compassion and all these kinds of things and he said and flee youthful lust and he tells us I had all of that wrote down I think we get the gist of it we want to be fruitful we don't want to be entangled with the affairs of life we want to be controlled by Pharaoh's daughter don't we I work hard at it but the more I work the more I come under an attack the more beauty is stripped from it. Even about Jesus in the book of Isaiah 53 says there's no beauty or comeliness that we should have any desire of him. Don't look attracted to be a Christian in this 21st modern day century when the world offers you all the pleasures. Look at the pleasures that it offers you. And those that do it, there don't seem to be any immediate consequences. And those of us that's trying to actually Live fruitful, this is what happens. Our fruit is tested. Go ahead. See what she's doing? She's stomping on the fruit. And everywhere I turn, it seems like someone's kicking me. Every time I try to do good, evil's present. Every time I want to do something for God, there's a a hindrance, an opposition. There's a spirit of the world that arises up against you. It mocks you. It ridicules you. It slanders you. Nothing attractive about it. Look at her. She's. You know what you're doing, girl? You're destroying my fruit. Did you wash your feet? Because I don't know if I'm going to eat that after you got done washing or not. How many feel like you're stepped on and walked on and, and you're abused and you're, you're misunderstood and everywhere you turn, your faith is being tested and you're being tried and you wonder, where are you at, God? Why is the world having a party? And look where I'm at. Does anybody else feel that way at times? Amen. But then all of a sudden, as she keeps Squashing those grapes. Out of that experience comes something. It's party time. All right, it's sparkling red grape cider. You squash grapes enough and you do the process long enough and out of the hardship comes wine. Wine is a symbol of the
1: Holy Spirit. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Moses seen him who was invisible and he looked and he said these words, there's a greater treasure in the invisible God than there is the visibility of all the wealth of Egypt. There's reward coming. There's the word of the Spirit coming.
0: Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Would you stand with me, please? Bill, would you pick that grape up there for me? My wife's got a new technique. Something about she read this stuff about grape juice. How it's supposed to wore off different kinds of things. She's always now coming around saying, drink this. Don't want that. Drink it. Got the flu last week. Next thing I know, here she comes with this big bottle of grape juice. Drink. Jenny. I don't want no grape juice. Ah, it's good for you. It wards off stuff. Home remedy. I'm telling you, that's a spiritual remedy. The intoxication of the spirit. The wine of the spirit over the spirit of this age, it's worth it. It's worth it to wake up with a good conscience, with a DNA, with an identity of knowing who you are in Christ Jesus, and you can make your boast in the Lord. Well, you're not walking away. I don't care what anybody says. They can go out and sin, and they think there's no consequence, there's consequences. It's destroying their DNA and their own personal self-esteem about themselves, and they're losing their identity. This morning, I'm asking you to make a commitment with me. As a parent as an individual, as a Christian to flee the deception and the power of Pharaoh's daughter. She's mean, she's vile, she's seductive, she's clever. She'll seduce you and you'll never even know you're seduced if you're not careful. I'm asking you to make your way up to this place, this altar this morning, and saying, Lord, break the spirit of Pharaoh's daughter off of our children, off of our church, off of our community, off of our city. God, let us be like Joseph in his day where we rise up and we become mighty men and women of God. Where we're strong and we're and where we have our senses exercised and where we can discern both good and evil. Help us to be spiritual and not carnal. Help us to be sacred and hold to the things that are true and pure and holy and of good report. Help us to deny all ungodliness and worldly lust, living soberly and righteously in this present world. Help us to be true men and women of God that'll stand up against the wiles of the enemy let us be anointed and let us see the manifestation of your spirit because we're putting our passion to seek you. 79 different verses of scripture in the New Testament alone of just seeking to know Jesus is there. 79, would you come and say, God, I wanna know you. Come on, make your way up here, all of us. And let's pray God protection. Rid yourself of the spirit of Pharaoh's daughter. She's mean. She's vile. Do
1: not facilitate the things of the world in your life. Guard yourself. Protect yourself. Don't justify and give in and cave in. Make a move forward and show yourself as a passionate
0: hunger and seeker after truth. Oh God, right now, lift your hands and hearts. Say, Father, forgive us. Help us. Help our nation, help our people. Open their eyes that they can see the spirit of the age deceiving them in the name of Jesus. Help us to esteem the greater reproaches of Egypt. God, help us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, oh Holy Spirit. I decree righteousness over this congregation now, God. I declare the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I pray every spirit of the age which is upon us, every ounce of Pharaoh's daughter that is, that is operating among us and is attached to us, I bind that and I remove that from off the lies and the yoke and the neck of your people. In Jesus' name, let the yoke be broken. Let Pharaoh's daughter be gone. God, let us be like Moses choosing rather to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Help us to see the greater riches of God's promise than the riches and the treasures of Egypt for a moment. In the name of Jesus. Lord, let this church get under the burden. Yes, Lord, there are true, sincere seekers here today. Lord, minister to my brother right now in the name of Jesus. Oh, I see a desire, Father. I pray, God, that every ounce of Pharaoh's daughter's influence would be just literally ridded and that he'd rise up with authority, power, and authority to make a
1: difference. Let him reach his potential in Christ Jesus. Amen. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. Show your passion, loving. Know your passion, seeking Holy Spirit.
0: but you're finding yourself at a crossroads. You're saying, I have learned so much. I have come so far. But now it seems that I've come to this place of fruitfulness, instead of things getting better, things are turning worse. One bad negative report after another, after another, after another. And all of a sudden, you're being mocked and you're being told. You're caught up in something that's over your head you don't understand. And all of a sudden, everything about you is beginning to question whether or not that you're doing what is right. Is this thing really real? Is God really real? Is all this thing a hoax or is God really God? Is there really manifestations of the power of the glory of God? Is that really real? God wanted me to tell somebody here today you're having all of these trains of thoughts and it's because your grapes your fruit has been thrown in a basket and the Holy Spirit, not the devil but the Holy Spirit has come along he's squishing it, he's making wine out of your experience and if you'll hold true, you're just around the corner till you'll have a
1: breakthrough of the glory of the manifestation of the presence of God hold true to your commitment forsake Pharaoh's honor and the lies and the hypocrisy of her
0: charm. In Jesus' name. God bless you this morning. Stop the music for a minute, Jason. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you coming up here today because I believe that God wants to break something over our church. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt the suffering that we've been going through here at the palace in all kinds of different forms and ways is because we're being crushed under the feet of the Holy Spirit. And he's making permanent wine of the Spirit out of it. And we're coming out of it. God ain't forgot Becky Ziegler and all of her trial. God hasn't forgot uh, uh, Brad Carson and Roxanne Carson. No, sir. And then he would say, Look, this is a newfound faith in y'all coming into Pentecost watch this is all about and the more we've come into it instead of it getting better our lives has turned to worse in a lot of ways don't pay no attention to the lie of the enemy you're being crushed in your grapes and let me tell you wine's coming out of you and bread. wine's coming I can just start pointing people out of all the different things that's going on in their lives but whatever you do don't listen to the flattering voice of Pharaoh that shall tell you everything you want to hear She'll offer you everything that you ever want. And she'll cater you and make it seem to be common all under the realm of care, loving, nurturing of a mother. And it's all about the concern for you. And it's all a lie. And it's destructive. And it will destroy you. Can I have an amen? Shake someone's hand and encourage them in the Lord and say, and you're going into your season whether you like it or not. In Jesus' name. We'll see you here tonight.